Welcome to Seneca Community Church Online this Palm Sunday, when Jesus made his celebrated entrance into Jerusalem. As we continue to turn our hearts towards Easter, we're trying to connect the hope of Jesus with the reality of our current world. This Easter season, we do wish that we could gather with family, friends, and uh, loved ones and to, and to gather together as a, as a church family. But uh, we can't do that this year, so it's a little different. But that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate the difference that Jesus has made in our life and continues to make in our life and to enjoy pointing to him. This is going to be a different Easter 2020, but it's going to still be a good one as we celebrate and remember together. So we'll do the best we can. We'll use technology to gather in spirit from our homes. Uh, it won't be the same, yet the celebration in our hearts can be just as personally powerful and real. As we gather online, we can still experience God's love, truth, grace, and timeless good news message. So let's uh, begin our time with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your Son and for the difference that he has made in our life and continues to make in our life. We're thankful that even in a time like this, we can gather online. We ask that we'd be aware of your presence, that you would speak to our hearts in separate locations, even though we're connected together. Lord, we pray for those uh, first responders right now, those in the medical profession uh, that are, are just, uh, just working so hard and are exhausted and being separated from their family and also are vulnerable to the illness itself. So we ask that even in this moment, this Palm Sunday, you would give them a special strength and many of them would know that that comes from you, know they're supported and loved. That we also think of families this morning as they uh, try to uh, do the homeschooling uh, routine, and we thank you for the teachers and the public school that are trying to uh, make that all possible. Uh, we just ask that you would continue to help them. Uh, we pray for these times of families being together in smaller quarters than they're used to, and we ask that this would create some good memories, even though it's hard and it can be very difficult. Father, once again, we are thankful that we can get together in this way, and we do ask that you would be pleased with the response of our hearts to your message, to your good news. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Okay, let me get this out of the way. I didn't steal that donkey, okay? I, I borrowed it. And, and it wasn't even my idea. Jesus told me to take it, to, to, to borrow it, right? Um, okay, this is, this is how it happened. Um, earlier today, there was a large group of us and we were traveling from Bethany to Jerusalem. We stopped just outside the city and Jesus looked at two of us and he said there was an unridden donkey just inside the village and asked us to go get it. He said, if anybody, you know, ask us about it, we could just look at him and say, the Lord needs it and he'll send it back. So the two of us beat it into town. And the whole time we were like, what is Jesus going to do with a donkey, right? But by this point, we realized you don't second guess Jesus, right? He hadn't told us why and 
We didn't ask. We just got him a donkey. And when we got back, <laughs> that's uh, that's what it uh, that's what it happened. Um, some people put their coats on the donkey, and Jesus got on the donkey, and um, <laughs> when he got on the donkey. like um, everyone started shouting and dancing and singing and um, some people were throwing their coats in front of the donkey there, there was there was uh, some of us that grabbed some palm branches and we started waving them in the air and that's when it clicked Jesus had finally arrived um, I know that sounds weird that's it no, it's, it's like this. Um, in the past, we would get excited because Jesus would do something, a miracle, or there would be some parable or something he said. We'd get excited about it. And Jesus would always be like, shh, come on, guys. No, 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 nope. Just be quiet, you know? And then we'd come up with some idea. Hey, let's do this or let's do that. And Jesus would, would be like, no, guys, no, not, not now, not now. But today, <laughs> today was now. Today, he finally let us shout and sing and dance and treat him like the Messiah that we'd all been waiting for. He finally showed up. He finally showed up. And the expectations of his followers that first Palm Sunday was off the hook. They were just so excited. He was finally turning into the Messiah they had hoped for, they had dreamed of. It was a new day, and they were just so excited. But most of us know how the rest of this week unfolds. And uh, they didn't know that was coming. They didn't think that Jesus was going to express himself in a different way. They thought that Jesus was coming in as the victorious conqueror and leader. And they would, be, have, they would find that their expectations would be unmet. On almost any level, unmet expectations uh, can be hard, can be difficult. A mouthful of expectations doesn't taste the way we had expected it. We imagine it to taste one way, and then very quickly it gets into our mouth, and uh, it doesn't taste good. And maybe it tasted good in the beginning, and then it tastes horrible, and the first thing we want to do is get rid of it. All of us have had something in our mouths that we've tasted it and been thinking it was one thing, and it turns out to be something else. A lot of us remember the first time we tried black licorice. And we thought black licorice was actually candy and very quickly decided that that was the most disgusting thing you could ever eat. Expectations. We're tasting it. It's in our mouth. There was a specific time back in the 90s when I was a youth pastor that I can't shake from my, my mind because I had certain expectations and it just unfolded completely different. I was a youth pastor, and uh, here's a picture of me. It was like at a snow camp, and those are hammer pants. 
And uh, you can see that, that's, uh, that's terrible, but that was the day, and we all liked hammer pants, so we wore them. But I was a youth pastor and was at this uh, winter retreat, and it had been a long weekend, and it was supper time, and now it was time for me to get a Diet Pepsi. And, and I just couldn't wait for that Diet Pepsi. Cool, tasty, all those kinds of things. I was really looking forward to it. I had great expectations Gone up, gotten my meal, cafeteria style, and got to the table and set my meal with a bunch of other kids. Cindy was at the table, and uh, we're ready. And all of a sudden, I realized I forgot something. So I made a big mistake in that moment. I got up, left my food there, and left my Diet Pepsi there. Was gone for just a few minutes. Then when I came back, I was ready to take a big gulp of that Diet Pepsi. I took it to my lips, started pouring it down. It tasted fantastic. But then all of a sudden, in the back of my throat, I realized something was wrong with this Diet Pepsi. Somebody at that table had added Tabasco sauce to it. Now, I was from the mindset that if someone was going to play a trick on me, I would pretend the trick wasn't happening. And I tried. I, I really tried. But I could feel my face turning bright red. I could see everybody around the table just looking down, focusing on their meals. Even Cindy was there. And all of a sudden, the tears started coming out of my eyes. And they all started laughing. Cindy laughing, too. And by the way, she, she didn't do it, I was told. But my expectations were dashed. In a second, they, it was terrible. And I tried to keep myself composed. All of us have had experiences like that. We filled our mouth, our life with something and expected it to taste so good. Some of us have experienced that when it comes to our, our marriages. We expected it to be one way and it hasn't unfolded to our expectations. It doesn't taste as good as we thought. That's for another message. Uh, sometimes it's our job. Uh, we expected one thing, and we get it into our life, and the expectations are not being met. Sometimes it's our kids, our parents, a product that we buy. We buy the ultimate driving machine, the car, the tractor, whatever it is. It's going like, to be fantastic to have this product. And all of a sudden, we find that uh, there's unmet expectations. We look at our world, and we see this COVID-19 pandemic continuing to unfold. Uh, we had no expectations of this for five, six, seven weeks, and it continues to go on, and we feel it. And we felt that it would come together maybe a little quickly, quicker. And now it's starting to seem like it's hunkering in for a little bit longer time than we expected. And those unmet expectations weigh us down. Then there's the expectations for God. We expect God to work a certain way, do a certain thing, and they're not met. And for some of us, that means we, just like I, was pretending to drink that Pepsi, and I didn't want to display any displeasure. 
So I kind of go through the motions. I'm dissatisfied with my Pepsi, but I couldn't keep it together in the Tabasco sauce. But uh, we continue on with that, and, and we find ourselves in that place. And so we have our own expectations, our expectations not met by God, and we feel low inside, but we keep it to ourselves. There's others of us who say, wow, God isn't showing up, so that must mean there isn't a God, so I'm out of here, and we're done with this thing called faith. And some of us are just, just totally confused by that. All of us from time to time on one level have unmet expectations. And as we look at Palm Sunday, as we think about Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is a, at its core, for many, for most, a day of unmet expectations. Even his disciples, after everything unfolds this coming week, many of them would return back to their original lifestyles. Many of them would go back to fishing. You see, unmet expectations can do that to us. So as we think about expectations and we think about how they work in our lives, we have to go back in history and see what were the expectations of those folks on that first Palm Sunday. The disciples, as we saw in that little video vignette, had one set of expectations. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting. But the rest of the population, even those that weren't in a close, close relationship with Jesus, those on the, the edges had certain expectations because of their growing up background, being Jewish, being Hebrew. All the way back in Deuteronomy, we read this referring to a coming day when someone like a Messiah would come, some kind of leader would come. Moses writes this, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. From among your own brothers, you must listen to him. Back in Deuteronomy, they're pointing to Jesus. They're pointing to this Messiah. Moving a little forward in time, we have in Zechariah, and there's other passages that refer to this, but we see in Zechariah this, this passage that is an exact picture of what Jesus is doing. Uh, this is written um, 1,500 years before Jesus' day. And this is what Zechariah writes, inspired by God. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So in their history, they had this concept, and this concept here, Jesus riding on a donkey, it's a perfect picture of that first Palm Sunday. They were waiting. They had expectations. It was, it was built into their, in a sense, their DNA, their, their cultural fabric that someday someone from the midst of them would rise up and deliver them. They were expecting it. They were holding on to that. And yet they're going to find that their expectations, the way they packaged this coming Messiah, was off. And this coming Messiah actually would be more than they could imagine. But in that moment, their unmet expectations would eventually rule the day as we move through this week. 
like to show you uh, the visual Bible's depiction of this passage from Matthew. You'll notice in the corner, there's a little chapter ID and verse. You'll notice that all that is said is scripture as they walk us through this. I think it's powerful to kind of step back in time and get a glimpse of what things might have been like. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. large crowds spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Hosanna. Hosanna literally means, save us, we pray. Or as a call to God, God saves. They were just coming undone with their excitement and their joy that the Messiah had finally arrived. We see that concept of Hosanna, save us, help us, deliver us, way back in the Psalms. Psalm 118, 25 through 26 reads, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless 
you. You see, Jesus was everything they had hoped for on that Palm Sunday. But what they had hoped for, what they had expected was different than what Jesus was going to deliver. Jesus was going to be their deliverer, but not in the way that they thought. Watch how things change very quickly in just a few days. Back to Matthew. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Ask the government. They answer. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered. They shouted all the louder. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, What happened? Unmet expectations is what happened. They had a mouth full of Jesus on Palm Sunday, and then they would spit it out. The crowds would aggressively spit it out. His own disciples would have a, such a sour taste in their mouth to such a degree that they would scatter in fear and shame. Sadly, they believed the Messiah, God, Jesus, hadn't lived up to who he said he was. No matter who we are in our understanding of Jesus, the convinced or the unconvinced, we can find ourselves in the same disappointing place. Jesus' closest friends would find their expectations that they created never existed. Now, Andy Stanley says it very powerfully this way regarding God. He says, often the God we expected never abandoned us. He never existed. You see, Sometimes we put God in a box of our own making and we expect him to be this way. And it's not that he didn't show up. It's not that he's not a part of our lives. It's the God you and I have boxed in never existed. And he Stanley goes on to talk about six ways we can look at God, how he functions in our life. The first one is the body God Bodyguard God. And it's the God that bails us out at any moment. Whenever there's a problem, whenever there's a need, he steps in and in a sense takes the bullet for us. He steps in and saves us. And if we take time and look through 
who Jesus is, who God is, we're going to see that that is putting God in a box that he never claimed to be in. He never claimed to be our bodyguard God. We also sometimes think of God as the on-demand God. We just ring him up. We just call him. We just text him. We just reach out to him, and instantaneously, he is there. Almost at our beck and call. He's on demand. Just like uh, we have Netflix on demand. We click it, the show is there. We click it, God is there. But that God never said he was that kind of a God. So our expectations for him, he, he's not going to meet those because he never claimed to be that. We wish that God was more like this. Whiners. This is going to suck up my whole life. Yes, to all. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now everybody's happy. We wonder why God isn't on demand. We wonder why God doesn't want to make us happy, especially when it comes to those prayer requests that seem to be reasonable that seem to be kind, when they seem to not even be about us, they're about somebody else. Won't you help this person out? Won't you do this in this person's life? We don't understand why God just doesn't type in yes to all of those prayer requests. You see, we've painted God into a box, into a corner that he said he would never be in. Then we can also think that God is a boyfriend-girlfriend God. I don't know about you, but I had a couple girlfriends that uh, would always be on my arm. I could, I, everywhere I went, they were like connected to me. Everything I went to, every event, they were right by my side. I was aware of their presence. There was no time while I was dating that person when we were out and about that I wasn't aware of her. And she was aware of me. And we think that God should be present like that. God should be right by our side. And then when we are not aware of his presence, when we don't feel his presence, we become discouraged. Uh, when we go to a, a church service or we listen to a message and, and, and our heart, in a sense, isn't quickened and emotionally, we don't feel, wow, we go, where is God? Where is God? I don't, I don't feel his presence. And we forget that God never promised for us to feel emotionally his presence presence. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. The scriptures do teach that God is always present. Sometimes I want God to cause, in a sense, uh, chills up uh, the back of my neck, like when I hear the national anthem at a sporting event, and it's just moving, and all of a sudden I get this chill down my spine. Where did that come from? I want that from God. But see, God never promised to be a boyfriend, girlfriend. God. He also never promised to be a guilt God. He never promised to express himself always with guilt. Sometimes you and I don't uh, feel that God's really showing up in our lives unless we feel really guilty. 
One time I finished a, a message and a pastor's daughter who was a little bit older than me, her dad had been a pastor, and she came up to me and she said, Dave, that was the best sermon you ever have done. So obviously I wanted to hear more. I liked hearing that, but I also wanted to hear more why she thought it was the best service or sermon I'd ever done. And this was her answer. She said it was because you made me feel so guilty. I loved it. And I knew God was working. I took a step back and wasn't going to really convince her otherwise. But in my mind, I go, is that really what I'm about? I'm trying to make people feel guilty. I don't think so. Some people think that that's what God's all about. When they're feeling guilty, then they're in his presence. When they're not feeling guilty, he's not showing up. Also, there's this idea of God being an anti-science God. That uh, he, he's just, there's just, if you quit, if you're going to believe, you've got to quit thinking. Uh, if we are, it's going to force us to trade off the undeniable for the unreliable. That it's, it's a virtue not to understand. You need to believe in belief itself. It's God or science. And we, it's one or the other. And that is a false alternative. And those of us who uh, think God is an anti-science God, it's interesting, where's the first place we run to when we're sick? Most of us run to the doctor. And the doctor is science. That's why they do what they do. Next week, we're going to see that, yes, it does take faith. And faith is important, but faith doesn't have to be present at the expense of understanding, of thinking, of science. The first great scientists were actually Christ followers. You can look it up. You can Google it. You'll see that they were Christ followers. Also, we look at the idea that uh, God, and this kind of plays off the anti-science, that God is the gap God. That anytime something is unexplainable, we plug God into it. And as long as there's a lot of unexplainable things out there, then we're confident with this God. But as the more things get explained, the less powerful God becomes. And, and that, that's, I, you know, maybe it's too strong a word, but that's craziness. When you see some of the things that they're finding out in science, when DNA was starting to be unpacked, that didn't tell me that there wasn't a God. That told me that there was an amazing God. That a God that could create DNA and order it in the way he orders it. That's unbelievable. So if we believe that the, um, un the, un the things we don't understand or can't explain, that's a God thing. What happens as science grows and technology grows and more becomes explainable, does that diminish God? And I'm going to say absolutely not. See, you and I have put God in a corner. We've painted him to a corner. We've uh, expected him to be a certain way, and uh, he isn't that way. So it's not really fair of us to say, this is who I think God is, when he never claims to be that. It's not really fair of us to do that and then, and then call him on it. He never claimed to be those things. We have to make sure that our expectations are really correct are clear. 
really, in a sense, I would rather have us, instead of uh, thinking about expectations, I'd rather think about anticipation. Because when our expectations are not met, there's a hole, and we find ourselves filling it with trust or uh, suspicion or something worse. So rather than have expectations that really can't be panned out in Scripture, rather than moving in that direction, especially when it comes to the unknown, becomes the things that aren't met, why not switch expectation with anticipation? Anticipating that God is out there, he's going to show up in his time, in his way, in the right moment, and uh, we just anticipate he's going to be involved, and we just don't really know how. You see, sometimes when we're wondering when God is going to show up, we, we think that his, his delays are basically uh, denials, and that's not necessarily true. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Romans 5.3 speaks to our hearts about this. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. Now, at first glance, that gives me the why. The why sometimes there's a delay, and I personally don't really like learning patience. I don't like having to get better at patience. So verse 3 gives me understanding, but the next verse gives me, in a sense, inspiration. It shows me the benefit of patience. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time. We use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. I want a strong and steady faith. I need a strong and steady faith. I think you need a strong and steady faith. And when God slows it down, when God delays, it's not necessarily a denial. He might be trying to do something in you and me. In the times we face as a, as a nation, all that's going on, we need strong and steady. We need that kind of hope. And so as he delays, we shouldn't be wasting this quarantine. We should be using it to see how you and I can grow and develop and become stronger and steadier. Also, we need to realize that many delays, many delays are divine delays. God has a purpose for a not yet. Sometimes he wants to do things in our lives in that not yet. He's causing us to, to wait one time when we were early on married, Cindy and I uh, owned a mobile home, and we were in the process of trying to sell it. We had moved into another home because I'd been called to be the pastor of a church, and they provided a home for us. And one of the excitements was that that was provided for us, so we wouldn't have to pay for this mobile home that we owned. And it took us nine months to sell that thing. Oh, boy, we were hanging on. I was like, God, what are you doing we're answering your call. It was just about the same time the twins were going to be born. There was all this stuff going on. And, and not having to pay that lot rent and not having to pay that little mortgage, 
Oh boy, that would have been like a life changer for us. But it took nine months. Nine months. You see, God has a purpose for our not yet. God often wants to do something in you, in me, before he does something for you and me. And God did some great things in us as we had to really lean into him and deal with the fact that he had a purpose for his not yet. It took uh, Cindy and I almost eight years before we started having kids. There were some things that God did in us while we waited. First couple years was great, not having kids. But when we moved into year number five, year number six, year number seven, and our peers were having kids, and we weren't, and it wasn't happening, and then we had a miscarriage and all that goes along with that, we asked why. But as we look back on it now, we can see that God wanted to do something in us before he did something for us. There's a time where I was involved with a job for three years, and it was just hard. And I was ready to move on, ready to do something different, ready to be, have a break from the environment that I was in. It was toxic. And God said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. This is a, a delay. Not a denial. This is a delay because I want to do something in you. Those things God did in me, those three plus years, would never have happened if Immediately, I felt the toxicity of the situation, and I had a, a parachute to get me out of there as quick as I could. God did something for me. We also have to remember when you don't sense action, when you don't sense action, it doesn't mean that God isn't in motion. In a short microcosm of time, even though it seemed like a long time, in the three days that Jesus was buried, before he was rose again on Sunday, it seemed like he wasn't doing anything. That Saturday, nothing was happening. Yet God was in motion. We have to realize that God is in motion in our lives, even when we sense no action. Also, as we think about all of this and how it all comes together and thinking about Palm Sunday and thinking about it moving towards Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and all that happens in between that, we have to realize if God consistently met your expectations, he wouldn't have a chance to exceed them. He wouldn't be, have a chance for surprise. You wouldn't have a moment where you went, I can't believe how God showed up and what he did. His holding back does something in us, does something around us, and also gives us those moments where we are just captivated by the reality that God is on the move, God is working, God is doing something. And it gives us a chance to go, wow. And uh, for us, waiting for, those, for waiting for that first baby, it was a wow when we had twins. So God does go beyond your uh, expectations. He exceeds them. You see, the bottom line as we think about that first Palm Sunday is this. Unmet expectations either surprise or demise. They either surprise or they demise. And for many of us, we live in the fear of it's going to be our demise. 
It's gonna, it weighs heavy on our heart. It brings us low. But if we look at it, that unexpectations is an opportunity for surprise, for God to come through, it changes everything. Said another way, not in your notes, unmet expectations demise wherein anticipation makes room for a surprise. And so that anticipation rather than expectation makes room for surprises. Moving on in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we read this. This hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how God loves us, dearly loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. His presence is with us, even when we're not aware. He's filled us with love. You see, with God Waiting is never wasted. Waiting is never wasted. So that gives us a few questions when we think about if we're in this waiting place. And we are in a waiting place as a nation, as a community. We're waiting. We're waiting to see that curve flattened. We're waiting to get on the other side of it. We don't even know what that's going to look. We don't know how long that's going to be. And we're waiting. God doesn't waste waiting. It's never wasted. So we have to ask the question, as we're waiting, and in a sense we have no choice but to wait, we have to ask ourselves, are we waiting with God? Are you leaning into God or leaning away from Him? For some of of you, this is a brand new concept, that there's a God that loves you, that wants to be a part of your life, that you can give your life to Him, He'll join your life, He'll forgive you of your sins when you repent of them, when you say, I want to make a change, when you believe he died on the cross for your sins and rose again, that you can wait with God. And for those of us that are Christ followers, uh, we, we should know that we can wait with God, but sometimes it just doesn't feel good. Sometimes that expectation is in the back of our throat and it's burning and we just want to get it out of our system. But waiting is never wasted when you and I are waiting with God. Sometime uh, this morning, I will be posting a site that's called, or a, a link to a site from Summit Church where they put a document together, Don't Waste a Quarantine. And it has all these ideas about how not to waste a quarantine. Because as we've talked about earlier, I'm afraid that some of us might be wasting this quarantine. Maybe we're just watching a lot of Netflix, watching a lot of TV, just filling ourselves with those things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying some good shows, good movie. But are we wasting the quarantine? I encourage you to check that out on our Facebook page. Also, another question is, are you waiting with others? Now, in this day, we're in quarantine, so we can't like wait in a small group in reality. But can you wait with others, use the phone, text message, call, use uh, Zoom? I know uh, the children's ministry is trying to get together to use uh, Google Chat. Uh, after today's service, 11.15, there's a Zoom meeting. You can sign on for that. All the information's right there on the Facebook. Just click. You don't have to download anything, and then you're there. Because we need to be waiting with each other. God designed us that way. God didn't design us to wait by ourselves. Wait with him and wait 
with others. And then the other semi-obvious question as we really think about it is, is God waiting for you? Is God waiting for you? Do you know? Do you know what you should be doing? Do you know what direction you should be leaning? Have, have you been putting off saying yes to Jesus? Have you been putting off taking the next step with your relationship with him? Are you keeping me at an arm's distance? Is again, he not, is, has he not met your expectations? So in the back of your throat, you've swallowed, but it, it's just burning back there. Is God waiting for you? Do you need to surrender something to him? Some kind of behavior, some kind of action that reflects your heart. You probably know what that is right now if that's where you are. God may just be waiting for you. Isaiah 30, 18 says this, Yet the Lord still waits for you to come to him, so you, he can show you his love. Not so he can put you down, not so he can crush you, but so he can show you his love. He will conquer you to bless you. I don't like that, but it's what it's saying is when I'm stubborn, he's going to get me to say, uncle, he's not going to give up on me. And he's not giving up on me to show how powerful he is. He's not giving up on me just to kind of say, see, I told you so. He's not giving up on me because he wants to bless me. He wants to conquer your heart. Just as he said, for the Lord is faithful to his promises. Blessed are those who wait for him. Again, our bottom line is this. Unmet expectations either surprise or demise. Unmet expectations demise whereas anticipation makes room for a surprise. Where are you at this Palm Sunday almost 2,000 years ago? Let's pray. Father, we first of all want to thank you that the boxes we try to put you in, the expectations we try to harness, with, harness you with, don't hold you. You're so much beyond that. You don't let us, in a sense, captivate you. You're waiting for us to allow you to captivate us. Father, all of us this Sunday find ourselves in different places with uh, different struggles, some of the same struggles. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to, in a sense, lay our expectations down and trade them with anticipation anticipation that we can wait it out with you, that we can wait it out with others. And if there's that place that's causing you, in a sense, to wait for us, I pray that we would lean into you quicker, sooner than we have been. And if there's anybody listening, tuning in, that has not said yes to you, has not asked you to join their life. I pray that in this moment, in the silenceness of their heart, they would say, Lord, I, I, I need you in my life. I've had expectations that, that were unrealistic, were off, but now I'm just coming to you in anticipation that you would join my life, that you'd forgive me of my sins, 
And that because of your resurrection on Easter a week from today, you would have the power to change my life from the inside out. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. At this time in our services, when we usually receive our gifts, our offerings, our tithes, and obviously we're not doing that because we're doing this online, but I would encourage you to be generous and be sacrificial when it comes to gifts to the church. Uh, there's a lot of uh, organizations that are very needy out there, and everybody uh, has needs, and they're asking you, but uh, we, we have some things that uh, we want to keep going. Uh, we want to keep doing. And so we, we would pray that you would uh, continue to be generous, continue to be intentional with your giving. Uh, don't just lay, let uh, uh, heart, um, arm twisting determine your giving. Uh, be sure that uh, you're doing that in response to the Lord. Again, as I said earlier, uh, we are going to be having a Zoom coffee time, virtual coffee time at 1115. Uh, so you can, again, go to our Facebook page and you can find the information for that. Uh, if you have some things that are going on that are, are difficult, please let us know. If there's some ways you want to help, please let us know. Uh, also, again, back to the, the giving. You can do that online safely, securely, uh, easily. Uh, you can also uh, use the mail. Uh, and you can also call in. There's a number in the pulse that shows you how to call in and just do it over the phone. So uh, please uh, continue to be generous, and we thank you for that. Uh, just a reminder what's coming up this week. On Friday is Good Friday. We will be doing a, a Good Friday service online again. Uh, I'd ask you to prepare for that as you're going out. When you go out, not too often, but when you go out, please pick up supplies so you can do communion right at your home. We'll walk you through that, so get some get some juice, and you can be prepared for that. And then on Easter, on the 12th, we'll, at 10 a.m., again, celebrate all God's goodness to us, even in times like this. Again, thanks for being with us. I uh, hope you're um, doing well, and, and look forward to uh, connecting with you throughout this week. Take care.